a lot of people don't realize that the disabled label isn't just about having a disability it's attached to so much history and so much lobbying and protesting hi i'm brooke melhouse welcome to disabled and proud the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin each week the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability why they're proud to be disabled and why they're proud to be themselves so hello jessica welcome to disabled and proud how are you today i'm good thank you how are you yeah i'm really good thank you i'm really looking forward to this chat i think it's going to be very insightful and very interesting so first question that i ask every single guest is how do you refer to your disability um i mean i i do just refer to it as a disability um yeah I, i i identify as disabled and then I will sometimes go into the nuances of what that kind of breaks down into, but I just find the disabled label as a whole is fine. Yeah. And that's lovely because that works for you. And it's, you know, like you're choosing the label that works best for you and you're not having to go into all the like level of nuances for all the other people and almost to justify why you use the label. Yeah. And that's, that's what like a wonderful thing to have because I think a lot of people always question when they can't necessarily, they're like, why? why are you using that and you're like I just don't really need to explain that to you (laughs) I also think there's that kind of self light bulb moment that everyone has where they're like edging towards using the word disabled but kind of gaslighting themselves as well from all the internalized stuff and then you start saying it and it's quite empowering so yeah I agree internalized ableism is such a thing it is such a thing and I think a lot of people obviously like able-bodied people don't really understand what it is until either they acquire a disability or they listen to disabled people talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I think they perpetuate so much of what becomes so internalised anyway. So even having a conversation, I feel like it's such a a long time frame before it sinks in from the able-bodied side, but I agree. Yeah. So with your, like, you, you call yourself disabled, how has that impacted, like, your career and the way that you work and all of like the types of stuff that happen once you leave school? I mean, in a lot, there's, it's so multifaceted, but prior to um, being a wheelchair user, I was studying nursing. Um, and obviously when you are, cause I mean, before that I uni, I did art and I dropped out cause I wasn't well enough. Um, and also knew it would never be a career that I could survive off. Yes. So Going into nursing, I, I presumed, all right, my future's mapped out. This is all sorted. Mm-hmm. And then my illnesses and disability sort of progressed to the point where I was signed off from that and suddenly grappling with this disabled label and very different life to what was expected from me and from others. Um, and I think the, the sort of process of of accepting the fact that this is a disability that isn't going to go away. It's genetic. It's, it's a lifelong thing. Um, I've had to completely re-navigate kind of income and what my future looks like. Um, I, my, my future plan, I think career wise is still to, cause I was doing psychiatric nursing to go into the mental health field and give sort of competence training on disability in yeah. psychiatric settings. But The role doesn't exist after we've it. Um, But yeah, I think, I mean, it impacts, everyone will say the same thing. I think disability impacts everything. And especially when it's not something that 
has been consistent for your whole life, whether you've acquired one or it's progressed um, in terms of like socializing, friendships, work, and just sort of life goals. I think everything shifts massively and you have to completely almost like wipe the slate clean, work out what works for you in terms of your health and then try and bring in things from your old life. Um, so yeah, yeah it, it is, I, I don't think it's something that, I will ever or anyone will ever have sorted and I think that's the same for anyone in terms of kind of mapping out careers and all of that and so with your nursing did you face like many barriers to entry with that with the disability yeah I mean it's quite interesting because prior to getting diagnosed with everything um as a young woman with a history of mental health problems everyone had presumed all of my symptoms were a psychiatric manifestation of, of distress. So when I had gone into nursing, I'd, I'd just come out of being bed bound for like maybe six or seven months. And I didn't even know if I'd be well enough to go into the course. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, well, look, like, come on, this is in your head. You can push through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went into nursing, I obviously disclosed my mental health conditions because you have to disclose everything for occupational health yeah and because I'd been kind of what they consider stable mentally I hadn't had hospitalizations in years or anything like that that was the only barriers that I had to face at that moment uh-huh. but then because I was getting all these episodes of of sort of fainting vomiting dizziness all of that um I had to request no night shift placements and placements where I was able to be seated when needed um and I remember everyone being very accommodating and nice and then I got really unwell and I had to defer a placement and then suddenly I think in an environment that's meant to be providing care for people who are unwell if one of your sort of own gets unwell um there's not that compassion extended and I think that there was a lot of pressure from university staff to lie at my next occupational health meeting and be like I'm absolutely fine but um I did that anyway and I still failed it um so I think accommodations in that sort of field are not great um mm-hmm. I know in certain medical professions there are like like one of my friends is a doctor who is paralyzed and a full-time wheelchair yeah. user and it's amazing but yeah in a lot of fields I don't think you get much support or sort of adjustments I just want to say thank you for coming on this podcast to talk about this kind of stuff, because I know that it's not necessarily always the easiest thing to talk about barriers to entry Mm. when you're talking about like what you thought your future was going to look like, because you're almost sometimes grieving the future that you thought you would have. And when it doesn't necessarily come to fruition, it can be like, it can be a painful experience for anyone. So I want to say thank you for talking about this, because I know it's not, it's not particularly an easy topic to talk about. No, I I appreciate it. Um, but I think luckily, because that was, I think, 2018 or 2019, um, that element, I've probably been able to be a lot more detached from and because yeah. nursing in a pandemic would have been horrific, um, selfishly. So I can confirm working in healthcare during the pandemic was the worst decision of my life. <laughs> I can't imagine it, honestly. <laughs> I work in... Um, I did work in like adult social care for adults with learning disabilities during the pandemic. And whilst it's an incredible job and it's very, very rewarding, the pandemic was 
easily the worst couple of working <laughs> years of I've, I've ever had in my entire life and there yeah. are so many like reasons for that and it's you know it's a whole other topic of conversation but completely like working in health or social care during that time was was not the one so you didn't miss out I'm telling you <laughs> well, it's, it sounds awful I mean anyone I've spoken to I think a lot of people are not going to recover from their experiences no, no, not at all but actually talking about the pandemic how was it for you and like how did it like show up in your life if you don't mind talking about that I mean my pandemic was and I guess continues to be um yeah, a bit of an ordeal, I think, mm-hmm. in 2020. Um, I mean, I've obviously spoken about this quite a lot online, but um, I was going through homelessness just before COVID hit. And um, <laughs> I remember kind of seeing the reports of it spreading. And then when the first case hit the UK, suddenly going into like full-blown panic mode, because at the time I was um, like physically very like malnourished and already weakened immune system on top of everything else. And I just started panicking and I went on a bit of like a doomsday prep. I wasn't one of the toilet roll buyers, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but like I got like dried food and I stopped up on paracetamol and the things that I knew were going to go. Um, and then it was before testing was readily available. And in the recovery house I was living in at the time, the person in the bedroom above me, I could hear everything through the pipe work basically. And they started to get really ill and they started getting the worst coughing I'd ever heard. And I started panicking saying to all the staff, like this person has has got COVID, I'm telling you. And it was very dismissed um, because there were still double figures in the UK. And um, that person was taken away by ambulance and a few days later, the only people getting confirmed COVID were those who were in intensive care and yeah. got confirmed. Um, and suddenly the entire recovery house was cleared and several people in there were homeless and we were all thrown into temporary accommodation um, without our belongings as well because they were like fumigating. It was really, no one knew how to clean up spaces yeah. where COVID had been. Like it was very scary. So I went into temporary accommodation without food or clothing or anything. Um and was shielding and was just stuck on a motorway in the middle of nowhere. And I remember obviously having to ration my medication, ration food. Um, and it was a really, really, really awful situation. Um, and I went on like that for a few months and then obviously ended up um, being put in a psych ward for about four or five months following that. So I think the pandemic, like the, the things that people don't remember or, or maybe don't realize is even at the start when the government were providing for the most vulnerable, we were getting these like food boxes for toilet roll and all that, um, that died out very quickly and all the support structures in place disappeared, but so many people continue to shield now and, yeah. and like life has got more expensive and shops in the world without all the masking, it's got 10 times worse. So yeah, I think, I mean, that the first year was a really difficult time and all my medical, I mean, everyone's medical stuff got cancelled and everyone was too scared to go to hospital. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just remember like the first time I had to go to hospital for my physical health, um, an ambulance came within seconds. They were like, we've been on shift for four hours. We haven't had any calls. Everyone's too scared. And wow. I mean, 
I think it was a weekend as well, not that it makes a difference. And yeah, it was just, all of it was very scary. And I think the things that I have identified that I really need to learn to kind of move away from is when you've been isolated for that long, you sort of get a bit institutionalized in your own space. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been the most surreal thing. And I think now it's just a case of this has gone on for a really long time. I can't stay inside forever. And I'm trying to work out how to navigate. You're almost navigating coming back into society, but in a way that's safe and comfortable for you. Because I remember in 2020, so I worked every single day of 2020 apart from Christmas Day. Oh my God. And I remember like 2021 coming around and I think it got to like, like June of last year. And I was like, I can't remember what it feels like to, to take a day off. Like I haven't, I haven't got, I haven't got a clue. And so I remember I was like, I'm going to book in like a week for myself. I'm just going to, I might stay at home. And like things were kind of opening up at that point. And I remember it got to like 10 10 a.m. on the first day. And I was like, I do not know what to do. I was like, how do people do this? I was like, do I make breakfast? Do I make lunch? I was like, I've got no idea what time of day it is. I feel lost. And it's very much that coming back into society and like, remembering that there was life pre-COVID but obviously it looks very it looks incredibly different now yeah no it's wild it is surreal and I think also like even the most outgoing people I've met it's like everyone's got really socially weird because no one's even it's like what there's another person in front of me I have to have a conversation um so it yeah there's so much so the social thing is really interesting because I remember meeting a group of friends for the first time and we just didn't really know how to be in each other's company anymore. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that you tapped your foot the entire time we're sat at this table. Like, did you, have you always done that? And it's really annoying. And like, because you haven't seen the people for so long, you completely yeah. forget and you almost have like a lack of filter. And I've realized that I don't really have a filter anyway. So the fact that I have a lack of one is scary for everybody around me. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine it's quite alarming. Um, at least people know you're being honest. Yeah, I mean, that is one thing that I always get, like, oh, you are a very honest person. I was like, mm, I think I've got more so honest because of the pandemic. So like, cheers, COVID. Thanks. <laughs> so with all of the stuff that you've gone through, because it's like, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, that is a very scary period of time for you. You've been diagnosed with however many ailments and you now use your disability as like that's what you call yourself through all of this like I don't want to say hardship but have you learned something positive about yourself like an integral part about yourself coming through all of this it's a good question um I mean the only thing and it it is very cliche but the fact that I guess like I've survived a lot of the stuff that I didn't know if I would ever be able to kind of face mm-hmm. preemptively. Um, yeah, and yeah, I guess just I've learned to be more resilient most of the time, at least. Um, and just also kind of a, a lot of us, I think prior to COVID and prior to everything being reframed a little bit, um, probably did a lot of things in life that we didn't really want to do, but we just did because we never questioned. Um, 
And I think that I've really identified that actually doing like seeing certain people who I come away from feeling really drained or feeling really just shit about myself after like those things I do less. And um, I don't know, maybe just a bit more valuing of, of the positive things in myself that I probably don't normally identify. Yeah. And I think that's an important one because very rarely, and I, I would put myself very much in this camp. I very rarely appreciate the good things that I'm good at. And I am absolutely without a shadow of doubt, my own worst critic. And like, I'm never like, I can big myself up to a point, but then I'm like, you are chatting out of your ass. (laughs) So like, I think that's like a great thing to say is that actually from this, you you can take some positives away from yourself and, and learn to appreciate them a lot more because at the end of the day, you've only got yourself to rely on sometimes yeah. in these situations. And um, I always ask guests this and, and I tend to say, like, would you have a piece of advice for either a younger version of yourself or a younger person with the same disabilities as you? And I quite like it because people tend to answer both differently. And I was wondering if you had any pieces of advice. Yeah, I, I was literally just thinking would my answers be quite similar or not? I mean, I think the the one to myself um, would probably be stop masking and protecting other people above yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that if I had always been a lot more vocal and stubborn, um, diagnoses, treatment, all of that would have happened faster and yeah. life could be different. Um, and I think for, for younger people with the similar conditions or the same conditions, um, we're, we're always taught to feel shame around kind of being disabled or presenting disability and yeah so many people hold off with things that can completely change their life whether that's mobility aids or yeah asking for access needs to be met in a school environment um I, or just I guess just being as outspoken as you can be within what's safe and, and what feels all right for you um mm-hmm. I just think those things are really important and it's it's getting your needs met as quickly as you can and I think if people from a younger age are taught that there's not something inherently wrong with them because they're unwell and there's nothing wrong with needing mobility aid or, or anything. Um, it, it would save a lot of distress. I think for people who grow up feeling ashamed of of themselves because you can't extrapolate it. So yeah, just like you can still be yourself and still be disabled it's not yeah. an evil situation yeah and I think that's a really wonderful thing that you just said is that you can you are still yourself and disabled like they're not two separate things and like I think a lot of you're so right when you say that younger people especially will avoid like using mobility aids or asking for help and that's something that I find that I really love, especially from your Instagram account, is that you are unashamedly, you ask for everything that you need when you are in places where you need to ask for help. And I think a lot of people could gain a lot of confidence from that because people don't often ask for the help that they need because of that stigma or embarrassment or 
not necessarily always knowing exactly what they need, but they need some form of help. And I think that that's really wonderful that you really like you champion a way for that. And I don't know if you realize that you do that because there's a lot of times I've looked at what you've been talking about and I've been like, that's so brilliant that you've asked. And that you Thank have. you. Because I think a lot of people don't. And I think if a lot of people, and what you said is so true, if a lot of people did ask for help, there would be a lot, the stigma would be completely reduced. And also, mm. you know, being disabled does not mean that you lose who you are. It's a yeah. part of who you are. And if you ask for the help, it means that you're able to be even more of yourself or even more fully a version of yourself rather than restricting yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think codependency and relying on other people is a thing that every single person has regardless of yes. disability and it's just I think a lot of younger disabled people feel this shame around like care or anything that yeah they feel dependent on but I mean how many people have got like toxic codependent relationship friends and all of, do you know what I mean like we've all got dynamics where we help each other out or we we need that support and sometimes just also yeah thinking about that um I know I did not know that I was uh, when you said I don't know if you're aware of the stuff on um social media about like asking for my needs um I didn't know that but I appreciate that that's been yeah and I think I think you do because I don't see many accounts where they're so honest about the fact that they are asking for the help that they need and that they should have and there should be no issues in gaining that help there is not a lot of people that I see asking and being so upfront about it and I think that's amazing because it breaks down barriers it breaks down stigmas and I wish a lot more people were more honest about that yeah and so I think it's really wonderful that you do oh thank you I guess there's definitely um a very guarded element I think of like chronically ill or disabled social media where there are these weird boxes that are like the right things to say and the wrong things yes so yeah this this yeah so true and you tend to see that people will either fit into like a a certain categories within that you know again this is coming down to that whole disability is like a massive umbrella term in within that umbrella term you may have like three boxes and one is like inspirational porn next one is like para-olympian or sporty person which I admit I probably fall into the middle category (laughs) and then the next one and I hate to say it can sometimes be a bit of a pity party, but you don't really tend to get someone who fits across all three. Yeah. Or if someone's outside of those, like, you know, generic boxes, mm. you're like, I don't understand. Yeah. It, it's a very, it's a bizarre thing. I, I know there are so many people, including myself, like when I first made an account that was more focused on being unwell, um, I definitely felt like I could only share um the sickness and 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 I think as well like when you're adjusting and that is everything but whenever I've seen people be honest about things that I felt ashamed to be honest about it's been so helpful and yeah like I mean anything that I've been honest about can be attributed to so many other people who have like kind of set that pathway but yeah that definitely is hard to know like where you should and shouldn't share things yeah yeah completely agree and so I have a particular set of questions that really annoy me when someone asks me about Mm -hmm. disability and mine and I'm I'm so sorry to every listener who hears me say this on every episode but it's always the what happened or did a shark bite your arm off oh how how regular is that one 
when I was little, I used to get it at least three or four times a week. Like, right. So one of those things, I think people, and I've spoken to um, the Rolling Explorer about this, and we had a conversation that sometimes people really want there to be some form of like tragic story because disability can be seen as a form of entertainment. And, and when you like, you know, you turn around, you're like, oh, actually, like, there's no story. I, I, was, I was born this way. People tend to be like a little bit disappointed because they want that element of drama. Yeah. Um, but I was wondering, do you have any particular set of questions that annoy you when someone asks you about your disability? Um, I mean, the list could go on, but the ones that come to mind, I get a lot of the time, why are you in a wheelchair? And I'll just say, because I'm disabled. Yeah, um, straight up. And- you don't need to explain that. Yeah, like people get really awkward and then they're like, oh, okay, bye. Um, Or um, like when are you getting better or kind of, I guess, well, have you tried, like the have you tried this question? I know it's probably slightly different for you because you can't be like, oh yeah, this, this grows back like a limb. Great. Um, Like, can you imagine if that happened? We're not lizards. Yeah, literally. Um, But I think it's just as a whole people feel very entitled to very invasive questions about someone's body when you're physically disabled and like random old sweethearts walking down the street who suddenly are like, please tell me everything or like in the most unexpected situations. And I think it's just any question that is literally out of being nosy or like you said, wanting some sort of like pity porn story. Um, those things really bother me. Um, and I mean, I don't have a particularly traumatic story about how I got disabled. I just came out my mum's vagina and that was it. But like, I know people who have had really hard, sorry, really, do I need to paraphrase that? So it's not as blunt. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but for a lot of people, I know it can be really traumatic. It, they might have had an experience that's completely changed yeah. their life. Um, so yeah, it's just the invasive questions. Like I wouldn't go up to some random able person on the street and be like, oh um what's wrong with you like you just wouldn't do that exactly or it's like you wouldn't go up to someone who had ginger hair and be like oh how did that happen yeah like you wouldn't do it do you know what I mean like and it it blows my mind that people like want like even sometimes have the balls and the gumption to do it and I'm like where were you raised like did you you not have manners (laughs) yeah and I think it's the sub kind of when you start to excavate a bit and you realize that because they're only doing that to disabled people, it's quite like dehumanizing as well. And there's so many layers, but it is just inappropriate and grim. (laughs) It is, it really, really is. So I would love to talk to you about your art that you do, because I own a couple of your t-shirts. I'm not wearing one today because it's really, really warm. But if we want to support you in any way, how can we do that with your art and everything else that you do? Thanks. Um, yeah, it's in a bit of a weird purgatory at the moment because obviously my the majority of my Etsy stuff has not been available for about a year now. Mm-hmm. And I keep saying, oh, I'm going to restart my shop in full force, but maybe slowly ease into it. Um, but I think, I mean, there, there are things that are available on there, but I, I think the stuff that means the most to me is just like the interactions whenever I do sort of share something online that's that's more to do with kind of like the creative side of my life or or things that are just more I I guess less superficial mean more to me at least um when people engage with that stuff and I get feedback and 
I don't know, like people have previously shared artwork that's meant I've had opportunities that I wouldn't have had before. And yeah. it's been amazing because obviously it's just a web of connections online. I, th- I think, to be honest, that's the main thing. Um, yeah. And I'm so grateful for everyone who has and continues to do that anyway. Brilliant. So my final question is one that obviously I ask everyone and everybody has the same answer. And I'm pretty sure yours will be the same as well. So Jessica, can you say that you are disabled and proud? Yeah, I think I can. Um, I mean, the disability movement has been amazing. Like all the, the change that as a community we've brought about, and I'm so proud of that history. Um, so I, I definitely am. I think fraction of the time, maybe not, but yeah. And I think that that's totally normal as well, is that when I asked that question, I was like, yes, and then I think some people are a bit like, oh, but not necessarily always. And then they feel guilty for not always feeling that way. And I'm like, no, that's completely valid. Because yeah. there are some days where you wake up and you're like, today is just a bit shit. And that yeah. is it. And there's no, it's because of X, Y, and Z. It's because I can't do this or like my body hurts or whatever. Sometimes like it is just what it is. And this is not about, you know, elevating disabled people to a level where it's like, oh, like they're amazing because they just get on with their life. And it's like, no, I'm proud to be disabled because of the things that we've had to break down Yeah, because I can clap my hands. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that the disabled label isn't just about having a disability. It's attached to so much history and so much kind of lobbying and protesting. And I think a lot of people when disabled people are openly really proud of that don't understand the context as well because you can be proud to be disabled and absolutely fucking loathe your disability but they're separate things yeah exactly and I think that's what you said is so true is that you can not enjoy your disability but be proud of being disabled the two are not like you know interconnected yeah so I just want to say a big thank you for coming on today because I've really enjoyed this chat. I think it's been super insightful and maybe we'll have some form of artist collab at some point down the line. I'll be here for that. Um, and it always needs someone to push me up the backside. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much as well because it's, yeah, been really, really nice to have a chat. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.